Good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville as well. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6. We're back in our series through the book of Hebrews this morning. While you're turning there, let me just uh, bring you greetings back from uh, Asia. Uh, was gone the last uh, several days. Uh, had the opportunity to spend some time uh, doing some training for some pastors and missionaries there. And just a very, very encouraging time uh, seeing what God is doing among them. And uh, it was just uh, really, really a great time to be there. So yeah, glad you're excited about that. I mean, that's what I love to do. I love to teach and train and and just had a really great opportunity uh, to do that. And then joined up with a team that we sent out uh, here from Berean uh, to work with one of the largest unreached people groups there in Asia uh, with some of our mission partners uh, that you faithfully support. And so just to, I come to you this morning, I'm tired, I'm, I'm jet lagging a little bit. I haven't even been back hardly 30 hours. Uh, and um, so it'd be interesting how this morning goes, all right? But um, I am very encouraged in the Lord and the ministry that was, I was able to be a part of. But it is always good to be back uh, with my faith family. So if you got a Bible, Hebrews 6, uh, if you're visiting with us, the last several weeks we've been in a series called No Going Back. And there's times in life when you just feel like you want to quit, you want to give up, you want to throw in the towel, uh, particularly when it comes to your faith. And uh, this book is designed to encourage us to, no matter what, keep pressing forward. And so this morning, we're looking at one of the most controversial passages in all of the New Testament. So jet lag, most controversial passage in the New Testament, should be a great mix. Um, Yet, it is a great word for us to hear this morning. So if you're able, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Hebrews 6 and beginning with verse 1. Word of God says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that is drunk the rain that often falls on it produces a crop useful for those who, uh, for its sake it's cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved... We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God's not unjust as to overlook your work and love that you've shown for his name in the serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is God's word. Will you pray for me? Faith family, pray for me and with me. Let's ask God to come through this difficult passage and challenge us this morning. Father, thank you for the gift of being together. 
Uh, we are called to gather for worship, and so being together this morning is a need in our life. Uh, we need this time now to not just sing and to pray and to fellowship with others, but now to hear from you through your word. And so, Spirit of Truth, come and guide us this morning into truth. Uh, take what is a very difficult and yet needed passage and uh, convict us and draw us to Jesus. And we ask it in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. We don't want religion in the show. That's what the TV executives at CBS told Charles and they were serious. But Charles was serious about his faith. Uh, he was an advocate for Christianity, and so he stood his ground. His response was, if the scene goes, the show goes. The year was 1965. The Charles that I'm referring to was Charles Scholes, the creator of the Peanuts cartoon. The scene that was at the center of controversy, that was uh, uh, what the debate was all about, was a very familiar scene. It was this scene. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That was the scene the executives wanted cut. But that was the scene that Charles made sure was kept. You see, Charles grew up in a Christian background, a, a church of God family. He did so in the great state of Minnesota. That's exactly right. Charles taught Bible study. He, he, he taught Sunday school class. He, he was very active in his faith growing up. In fact, one author writes about him, and I quote, over the years, Charles would mark nearly every page of his Bible underlining passages, circling key words. He filled in the margins and the blank spaces at the end of each Old and New Testament book with notes drawn from commentaries and his own personal insights, close quote. In fact, it's why you will find a lot of biblical references throughout the cartoon of Peanuts, throughout the episodes. For instance, on one occasion, Snoopy is depressed, and Charlie Brown quotes John 16.33 and says, be of good cheer. It's why when Snoopy is caught stealing Linus's blanket, Charlie Brown quotes the Ten Commandments. On another occasion, Linus builds a sandcastle and the rain washes it away and he looks at it and says, there must be a lesson here. 
a reference that Scholes himself would say was to Matthew 7 about building your house on the sand. Charles himself said this, and I quote, I preach in these cartoons, and I reserve the same rights to say what I want to say as a minister does in the pulpit. But when Charles got older, his faith in Christ got weaker. By the 1990s, he was a self-proclaimed secular humanist. He stopped going to church. He started believing in what's known as universalism, a belief that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something that's good. Charles would say this, and I quote, there are people in God's kingdom who don't even know it. Without believing in Jesus, they worship God with their attitudes and actions regardless of their theology, close quote. And this also, faith family, will make an appearance in the cartoon as well in another famous scene. Each year the great pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch that he thinks is the most sincere. He's got to pick this one. He's got to. I don't see how a pumpkin patch can be more sincere than this one. You can look all around and there's not a sign of hypocrisy. Nothing but sincerity as far as the eye can see. The point? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. And it's why Linus, who I assume you know represents Charles throughout the cartoon, it's why he waits all night for a great pumpkin that never appears. These two scenes represent the bookends, if you will, of Charles's faith journey, a life that drifted from an unwavering commitment to the Christ of the Christmas story to a Christ-less pumpkin patch. Now, Faith Family, I wish I could tell you that drifts like this are uncommon, but they're not. My guess is you've seen it as well. A, a church member that was once very active that stops attending altogether, a pastor that once preached the Word of God, abandons the Word of God, a denomination that used to believe in a thing called truth that gives way to relativism, a Christian once on fire for God is now cold to the things of God. Stop for just a minute where you are and think about your life. My guess is that you can think of somebody in your life, a parent, a child, a friend, a family member that once was very, very active in their faith and yet is now nowhere to be found. How do we explain this? How are we to understand situations like this? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's exactly what the author of Hebrews deals with in Hebrews chapter 6. Let's review the context before we dive into the text. 
These Hebrew Christians started out very active in their faith. Chapter 10 tells us so, that even in the face of suffering, they were serving, they were, uh, they were demonstrating their faith in Christ. But suffering, as many of you know, has a way of taking its toll on you. Anybody say amen? That there's just times when you're like, enough is enough. I can't take any more. I can't deal with it anymore. And because of this, they're considering going back to their old ways, their old life known as Judaism. But to do so means to abandon their faith in Christ. It means to leave the full word of God for the partial. It means to leave the one worshipped by angels for angels. It means to leave the one who is greater than Moses for Moses. It means to leave the one who is the great high priest and gives you access to God and confidence to draw near for a system that gives you no blessed assurance. To go back is to forsake their faith. They are like a New Year's resolution. They are, I may get in trouble, like a Minnesota Twins baseball season. <laughs> Too soon. Great start. Terrible finish. They're starting to drift. I got an applause for that. They're starting to drift and they're starting to slip. And, and the author knows this. And so he issues a warning. Now, before we focus on the warning in chapter 6, it is important for us to go back and remember the flow of thought that brings us into the warning. The author here is concerned about the spiritual maturity of these readers. Look at verse 12 of chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The author is real concerned about these readers. You haven't developed like you should. You've not been maturing the way somebody who has had faith as long as you have had faith should be progressing and maturing. Something is wrong in your spiritual development because maturity, if you remember from two weeks ago, is a natural part of life. If something's not growing, there's a problem. Do you remember that famous line in Jurassic Park uh, when Dr. Malcolm uh, says, life finds a way? That is, life moves forward, life progresses. Well, the same is true spiritually. If you're abiding in the vine, if you are abiding in Jesus, there will be growth. Now, why are they not maturing? Well, he tells us that, verse 11 of chapter 5, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since or because you have become dull of hearing. In other words, you're not maturing because you've stopped listening. Oh yeah, you, you listen to sermons and you, you download the podcast and you attend Bible studies and you mark up the margins of your Bibles, you just don't do anything with it. You don't apply it. You don't obey it. It's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. In other words, you're not actually listening to it. And that, notice this on the screen, that dullness 
of hearing is leading to a drifting in faith. That's what's happening. It's very much like a FedEx employee that I read about uh, who uh, his job was to load cargo onto a plane. And uh, one day he was doing this in uh, the, the great state of Tennessee, all right? And uh, he's loading these things on the plane and he decides, you know what, I'm kind of tired and uh, I'm just going to take my focus off the job for just a little bit. Nobody will care if I just sit down for just a moment. And he did. And he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he wasn't in Tennessee anymore. He was 800 miles away in Texas. Just a little nap. Just a little sleep. And he ended up drifting where he never intended to go. Notice it on the screen, faith family. When you stop listening, which includes application, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, you start drifting. That's the context here. When you stop listening to the word of God, you stop growing in God, and that leads to drifting from God. And if that's true, that puts you in a very dangerous category. Now we're ready for the warning. Now we understand the context that leads up to verse 4 of chapter 6. Look at it. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Right here, Lakeville, everybody, this is one of the most serious warnings in all of the Bible. This is one of the most difficult passages to have to deal with. And I know that it brings up something we don't necessarily like to talk about. It, it is a very challenging and convicting passage. But, but before we dive into it, let me just say, you already know in common everyday life that warnings are necessary. Amen? And so I just kind of want to get you ready that you already accept this in so many other areas of life. If you're a parent, you know that sometimes you have to warn your child, even if it's not necessarily what they want to hear. You're thankful for the road signs that warn you that there's a hazard ahead manufacturers that put warnings on products so that you will know what you're taking, or a weatherman that warns you of severe weather that's on the way, a doctor that warns you of the side effects of the prescription, which is usually worse than the actual issue. These warnings happen all the time in life, and we know right here, they're for your good. They're for your good. And the same is true with the warnings in Scripture. It is a gift of grace for our good. So what does this warning mean? I've told you it's one of the most uh, controversial passages because there's a lot of different views about what the warning actually means. So let me just give you a brief overview. Some say that this is a hypothetical warning. A hypothetical warning. By hypothetical, I mean this, or, or they mean this. It's a warning that can't actually happen. 
That's why it's hypothetical. That is, Christians can't actually fall away. But giving the warning still will motivate people to keep moving forward in their faith. So even though it can't happen, giving the warning will still motivate you to keep pressing on. Well, I agree that warnings are intended to keep you moving forward in faith, but I don't agree that this is hypothetical at all. In fact, if it's hypothetical, then it really has no weight. It's like me telling uh, my son, Caleb, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to discipline you. While he knows the entire time, I never, ever, ever, ever discipline him. That's not true, by the way. But he thinks I never, ever, ever discipline him. The warning actually has no weight whatsoever. I don't think this is hypothetical. So the second view that some people will take with this warning is they'll say it's a loss of salvation warning. This means that it's a warning aimed at genuine believers who can lose their salvation. So this falling away is a loss of salvation in Christ. Well, my response to that would be this. Number one, it's inconsistent with the book of Hebrews, which I'll prove in just a moment. It's inconsistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches. It misunderstands salvation, which is not a decision, it's a conversion. It guts justification by faith because it makes our salvation about our works rather than his ultimate work. It undermines the Holy Spirit, who according to Ephesians 1, is the seal and guarantee of our salvation. It makes void the promises of God all throughout that promise to keep his people like he will complete the work that he began, Philippians 1. No one can snatch you from his hand, John 10. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, Romans 8. Those whom he calls, he justifies, and those whom he justifies, he will glorify, Romans 8. He will keep us to the end, Jude, and those that believe in him shall never perish, John 3, 6, But other than that, I've got no problem with this view at all. (laughs) A little bit of sarcasm on a Sunday morning, right? But in, in, in seriousness, I don't think this is teaching loss of salvation at all because of Hebrews and the rest of the Bible. You say, well, then what does the warning mean? Why is the warning given? And here's, I believe, the right answer. It is a proof of salvation warning. In other words, the warning is real. It's not hypothetical. This is real stuff. This is real life. This isn't for funsies. This is serious. And your response to the real warning will reveal whether or not you truly belong to God. This is a real warning, and your response to the warning will demonstrate whether or not you belong to God. Four reasons why I'm convinced that that's what the author is doing here. Number one is because the wording, the shift in language that he uses. Look at chapter 6 and verse 4. you got to notice this. For it is impossible in the case of, say it, those small but important, he shifts from saying, you, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be growing. You still need milk. You ought to be moving on to maturity. And then he shifts his language to say, those. Meaning, 
he is not necessarily describing them. He's describing the type of person they may or may not be depending upon how they respond to the warning. Second, because of what the author has already taught back in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 and verse 14. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He says, for we have come to share in Christ. That is, we belong to Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, faith family, like me, listen, he's already taught that true salvation is a persevering salvation. True faith endure. The way you know you share in Christ is that you endure, you continue. Notice it on the screen. Genuine faith does not start and stop because genuine faith, oh, I'm going to get to preaching, is not a decision, it's a conversion. Somebody say, come on. And this is the issue, okay? I mean, for those in the, the lose your salvation camp, here's the problem. Here's the real issue. If salvation was purely a decision and you could decide one day and change your mind the next, then sure, you'd be right. But that's not how the Bible teaches salvation. It is not a decision. It's a conversion. You must be born again. If anyone be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. If you belong to Christ, you are not who you were. You have changed. You're a new creature. It's not a, well, do you decide today or decide tomorrow or he loves me not, he loves me, he loves... No, no, no. It is, he has changed you and you are now his. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And how do you know that? Yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. How do you know that? You persevere. Because faith that doesn't endure isn't real faith. I told you this a few weeks ago. Faith is not a muscle you only flex once. So one, the wording he uses. Two, the truth he's already taught. Thirdly is an example he's already given. Stay in chapter 3 and look at verse 16. Chapter 3 and verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You see, faith family, the author has already described this kind of person that he's talking about in Hebrews 6. Namely, it's the type of person like Israel, like some in Israel, that experienced the external blessings of God coming out of Egypt, but they didn't enter in because they didn't believe. They did not endure. Some entered in. Others did not. What was the difference? Faith. The difference between entering in and not continuing is whether or not you truly believe. Fourthly, 
is an illustration that he uses next. So the wording he uses, the truth he's already explained, the, the example that he's already given, and now an illustration that he gives right after the warning. Look at Hebrews 6 verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who, who forsake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. The metaphor is very, very simple. Rain falls on the land, and there's two types, one that bears fruit and one that bears thorns and thistles. Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the kind that receives the blessings of God, the rain, and you bear fruit and endure? Or do you choke out and go back? Faith family, hear your pastor this morning. Hear the word of God this morning. The Bible describes a type of people that is associated with the people of God, yet they do not belong to the people of God. Oh, they are in the crowd, but they are not converted. Oh, they believe the gospel intellectually, but they have not been transformed by the gospel personally. Oh, they love the sermons and they listen to the podcast. They just don't apply any of it. Oh, they love the music. They just don't actually worship. They fill the margins of their Bibles with notes. They just don't do anything with it. And that kind of person, usually when suffering comes, goes back. Falls away. And reveals their heart. Don't be like those. That's the warning. That's the pastoral urgency of this author. And it is taught everywhere in scripture. Jesus teaches it in the parable of the soils. Matthew 13 verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground... Tell me if this language sounds familiar. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Great start. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, say it with me, he falls away. Does that sound familiar? It is Judas that experiences the external blessings of being a disciple, but when the heat gets turned up, he'd rather cash in as to follow Christ. It is the horrifying words that Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 22 about judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. 
depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. It is what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2.19. They went back. They went out from us for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, they went back, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. My sweet faith family, heed this warning. Because what makes this warning even more serious is, is what is said in addition to the warning, namely, that people in this category who go back never come back. It is impossible to renew them, not to salvation. That's not what the text says. It's impossible to renew them to repentance. This is not someone who wants to repent, but God says, sorry, too late. No, 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 that's not what the author is saying at all. He's describing a type of person that's become so dull of hearing, so hard of heart, so bitter towards God, they don't want to come back because they'd rather have rebellion than repentance. They'd rather have safety than a savior. So heed the warning, don't go back for you may never come back. What is the author saying in this difficult text? What is the author saying in this very difficult passage? Here's what I believe the author is saying. Don't be like those in the wilderness. You know the ones that experienced God's blessings, but they became dull of hearing and fell away? You remember how they wanted to go back and as a result, they never entered in? Well, you realize in the same way that you can be a part of the Christian crowd and yet not be in Christ? You see, if you go back to Judaism, you won't enter in. Because to go back to Judaism and then come back to Christianity is impossible for it would be like crucifying Jesus all over again. So here's an idea. How about don't go back and press forward in faith? That's the warning. That's the admonishment of this author. And that warning couldn't be more relevant today. I warn all of us in every service, Lakeville, be careful that you are not a part of the crowd and have not been a part of Christ. Oh, you grew up in a church family and you've been good with your church attendance and you vote your values and let everybody know about it and you're theologically sound and you give financially and you are a part of the culture of Christianity, but you are not a part of the Christ of Christianity. The culture of Christianity will not save you, only the Christ of Christianity will save you. You can be a part of the crowd and not be converted. And hear me, faith family, Satan doesn't give a hoot in hell. If you have an external experience at church, as long as you don't have Christ in your heart. You want goosebumps and smoke 
and sermons that entertain and comfortable seating. He'll give you every bit of that as long as you don't get Christ. Because if you don't ever get Christ, you don't ever enter in. So he's fine if you enter in here as long as you don't enter in there. That, my friends, is a warning. That participation in the Christian community does not mean salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, you may think, I'm so glad I came to church today. (laughs) And there's some of you here, you're a first-time guest. (laughs) See, always like this? Yeah, pretty much. And you're feeling like, this guy's like the Bobby Knight of Bible authors. This guy makes Alec Baldwin seem nice. All right, too soon, too soon, right? (laughs) There's a sense in which we want to say, this is rough. It's harsh. Yeah, but it's a gift of grace. Some of us need to wake up. We're so dull of hearing, we need somebody to kick us in the pants. But I want to show you that the author doesn't just give a serious warning. He follows this up with a sincere word of encouragement. Look at it in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, I've had to be harsh. I've had to be real. I've, I've had to shoot straight with you. I've had to tell you like it is. And though I have spoken in this way, yet... In your case, beloved, you feel the pastoral love. We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and the serving of the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, same word for dull of hearing, but imitators to those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. He's not saying, you know that warning I just gave, ah, I want you to forget about that. No, the warning was real, but like a good pastor, like a good parent, he comes alongside and says, I'm not just going to warn you, don't be like those, but press forward in your faith for three reasons. And I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, the faithfulness of God. Brother, sister, I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering. You've taken it in the chin and you want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. You want to quit. But let me remind you, God is faithful. He is not unjust as to forget you. He remembers you. He knows what you're going through. He will not be unfaithful to you. So don't be unfaithful to him. Him. 
Secondly is look at what you've already done. Look at how you've served one another and the, the love that you've shown others. Look at what God has already done through your life. Keep doing that. And thirdly, look at those that have gone before you. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You'll see that more later in Hebrews with the walk of faith. You know you're not alone. You want to talk about suffering? Let's talk about Abraham. You want to talk about suffering? Let's talk about Noah. You want to talk about suffering? Let's talk about Moses. In other words, there's a whole host of people that have gone before you that had to endure by faith, but guess what they got at the end? Promises. They entered in. Be like that. Imitate their faith. And don't you dare go back. What a passage. I'm concerned about your spiritual maturity. You're not developing the way you ought to. So because of that, I'm going to give you a warning. There is a category of people that belong to the crowd but are not converted. Do not be one of those. Because if you go back, you may never come back. Instead, remember God. Remember what he's done through your life. And look at all those who have come before. And don't go back. But press forward in Faith. How are we to respond to a passage like this? Well, some would be tempted today to be discouraged. Anytime you preach a passage like this, there's the tendency to despair, to begin to question your salvation. And I don't, maybe some of you should, but here's what I want to say to you as your pastor Lakeville, listen, the, the goal of the warning is not for you to despair. The goal of the warning is, Get up out of your seat and keep pressing forward with Jesus. It's not despair and woe is me and what about this and question that and I'm confused. And no, 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 no. It's there's Jesus, run after him, focus on him, endure to the end. The goal is not for you to be discouraged this morning but for you to be inspired and motivated to press on in faith. Secondly, is that some of you might be dismissive. You assume you're fine. You assume this warning doesn't apply to you. And I would say this warning certainly applies to you. Do you know why? Because you're here. This is precisely the warning that belongs within the community of faith. And so we should not dismiss it. Lastly, here's how we should respond. We should be determined. We should be determined to let the warning do what the warning is intended to do, which is to motivate us in our faith. It is, after all, what our own Savior did when he was being tempted, when he was in his trial, when the serpent came to him and said, you know, why don't you turn the stones to bread? That'd be a great idea. Why don't you bow down and worship me? Do you remember what Jesus quoted? He quoted a warning. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus quoted the warning as a way of staying focused on his mission. Do not dismiss this warning. Let this warning make you determined 
to pay careful attention to your faith. Some of you will know the name Charles Templeton. He was a dear friend of the late Billy Graham. He professed faith in Jesus in 1936 and not long after that became an evangelist, much like Graham. But about a decade or so into his journey of faith, he started to question things. He started to doubt whether or not Christianity was true, and he became a self-identified agnostic. He told his friend, Billy Graham, and I quote, it is simply not possible any longer for me to believe. Towards the end of his life, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel, Case for Christ. Lee asked him, he said, Charles, how do, you, how do you assess Jesus at this point in your life? And his posture kind of softened, his tone became quite gentle, and his reply was, well, I believe he's the greatest human being to ever live. He's the wisest I've ever read about. Strobel was kind of shocked by that somewhat receptive response, and he said, it sounds like you care about him. Starting to stutter, Templeton said, well, yeah, everything good and decent that I've learned, I've learned from Jesus. He is the most important human being who ever existed, and then his voice cracked. And tears started flowing down his face. And he looked at Strobel and he said these words, and I miss him. He looked down to the ground, regained his composure, wiped the tears away, looked back up at Strobel and said this, oh well, that's enough of that. Faith family, heed the warning of Hebrews 6. If you go back, you may never come back. Because the downward slide from proclamation of Christ to a faithless pumpkin patch is not a cartoon. It is real life. And by the grace of God, may it not be true of you. Don't go back. Press forward in faith. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace that is seen in warning passages. While these may not be the kind of sermons we long to come to hear at church, it's precisely the sermons we need to hear. Just as a good parent will both correct and comfort, so does the Word of God. So I pray this morning, if there is somebody here and they have heard this warning that has been declared from your Word and 
it has been revealed that they are part of the crowd, but they are not a part of Christ. My prayer is that right now they would turn from their sin and put faith in Jesus. Not Christian culture, not denomination, not church, Jesus alone. Would they surrender today? As we have said many times here, it is not about religion, it is about a relationship. And so if there is one that does not have a relationship with Christ, oh, that today they would trust, they would believe. Others in this room just need the warning to motivate them to keep pressing forward, to keep moving forward. That yes, it is hard, and yes, it is difficult, and yes, it'd be easy to quit. But our desire is to enter in. Our desire is to receive the inheritance that is promised for us and that God will give us. And the suffering of this life doesn't compare to that glory that will one day be revealed. So Spirit of God, come, work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.